0: Please turn back with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. Reading together the opening nine verses once more. 1 Peter chapter 1 reading from verse 1. This is God's word. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Amen. May the Lord bless these readings of his word to us. This evening, we're focusing on the glory of God. But firstly, let's consider man's glory. Man's glory is totally different from God's glory. For one thing, God's glory is eternal, but man's glory simply does not last. Think of Cliff Richard. I heard Cliff interviewed on the radio some years ago. Cliff spoke of being in the cinema around that time. There were four teenage girls sitting in front of him. Two of them turned round and asked him, Are you a famous singer? Cliff replied, I guess you could call me that. What's your name? The girls quizzed. Cliff replied, Tell me who you think I am. The teenagers blurted out, George Michael. Cliff is now over 80. He's been in the music business for 60 years. When he started out six decades ago, He was a massive sensation with teens. But now, when he meets teens, they might not even know who he is. Man's glory simply does not last. Think of soccer legend Paul Gascoigne. Back in the 1990s, Gaza, as he was called, was riding high. He was England's star player. His fans loved him and worshipped him. Well, if you see Gaza today, he is a shadow, very sadly, of his former self. He has had many personal troubles over the years, and they have obviously taken their toll. Of course, a number of sports stars have similar sad stories. George Best and Alex Higgins also went down self-destructive paths. In past years, the news have been, has been full of celebrities being found guilty of the most heinous crimes. For years, Jimmy Savile and Stuart Hull were TV stars. Now their names are associated with utter disgrace and shame. Man's glory does not last, but God's glory does last. Indeed, God's glory is eternal. But what do we mean by the glory of God? Well, friends, God's glory is the sum total of all that God is and does. Yes, God's whole character and all his works display his glory. And so glory isn't a separate characteristic of God, like his holiness or his wisdom or his mercy. No, everything that God is and does is marked by his glory. Just think of God's creation. All that the Lord created reveals something of his glory. Think of God's plan of salvation. His plan to send his son to save lost sinners like us especially reveals his glory. Now Christian friends, there is something staggering that we've got to grasp at this point. God has actually decided to share his glory with you and me as his people. God hasn't only planned for us to rejoice in his glory. The Lord has actually purposed for us to reflect his glory. And therefore, God hasn't only chosen us and called us to himself. And God hasn't only converted us and made us his children. God is actually conforming us into the very likeness of his Son so that we will reflect his glory increasingly. And we are steadily moving towards the time when we will actually be glorified at the end of this present age, when our glorious Redeemer returns. Now this is so certain to happen that the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8 verse 30 as if it has already happened. In Romans 8 verse 30, Paul declared, and those whom God predestined, he also justified, He also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Note Paul wrote as if our glorification has already happened. For it's an absolute certainty for all of God's children in Christ. Well, this evening, I want to speak to you about the glory that you and I are heading to. And I want us to consider carefully four wonderful truths about us as Christ's followers and this glory that's to come. These are four great realities that Peter talks about here in this opening part of his letter. Peter wrote to fellow Christians scattered throughout northern Turkey. These believers struggled as refugees. They were dazed and distressed in their trials and traumas. And so Peter wanted to encourage and to comfort them. And that's why Peter immediately points them forward to the glory that awaits us as those who belong to the Redeemer. Concerning this glory, Peter firstly makes clear that Christians are born again for glory. Verse 3. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, believers have been born again to a living hope. Peter was full of this hope. Peter was filled to overflowing with our great and certain hope as Christ people. And Peter really wanted to convey this hope to his readers. In the original Greek, Peter penned one long sentence here from verse 3 down to verse 9. There wasn't a break. In what Peter wrote, he was so passionate about our great expectation and inheritance as believers in Jesus, it just poured out of him. This hope is all about being in glory with our Savior. So friends, it's not just about seeing our Lord's glory. It's about sharing in his glory. Note how Peter described it as a living hope. Why did he call it a living hope? Well, this hope is promised in the living Word of God, as Peter describes God's Word in verse 23 here. And this hope was made possible by the living Son of God who arose from the dead. And friends, this living hope is a hope that offers you and me life. Indeed, such hope can give us life itself. And because this living hope offers us true life, it grows And it becomes richer and more beautiful as time goes on. You know, time usually destroys most hopes that we may have. And so most hopes we may have gradually fade and die. Young men sometimes dream of being rugby stars like Brian O'Driscoll or Johnny Sexton or soccer stars like Messi or Ronaldo, girls sometimes dream of being famous singers, or dancers, or actresses, or athletes. But as time goes by, the vast majority of our hopes fade and die. Yet the passing of time, friends, only makes the Christian's hope more and more glorious, because we realize increasingly the glory that awaits us. Note what Peter called this living hope, In verse 4, he described it as an inheritance. Christian friends, we are the children of the King of Kings, and we share our great King's inheritance in glory. As Paul wrote in Romans 8, verse 17, if we are children of God, then we are heirs of God. And we are fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So as God's children, we are God's heirs. And we're included in Christ's last will and testament. And we will share in his glory. Some of you here may be Liverpool fans. Well, if you are, just imagine the possibility of Liverpool winning the premiership. The team returns to the city and does a victory parade on an open-top bus through the city streets. You are in the midst of the vast crowds cheering and clapping and celebrating your team being the champions. Well, as you participate in the great victory parade, in some way you share in the glory of your victorious team. Together, you're all bound up and share in the exuberant joy and triumph of the victory. Christian friends, that is just a pale, 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 pale pale reflection of what it will be like for us at the end of this age. Because when our King returns in infinitely greater glory than anything this world offers and leads us in His victory procession, we will all be bound up together with Him, our conquering King, and will share in His unsurpassable glory. And so in Christ... We have the most incredible inheritance imaginable. When people hear the word inheritance today, different things spring to mind. Grandfather clocks, precious paintings, antique furniture, property, sums of money. Look at Peter's description of the inheritance that we have in Christ. It's totally unlike any earthly inheritance. For one thing, our inheritance in Christ can never perish. Our inheritance will never disintegrate. What a contrast to our mortal bodies. For what happens to our bodies as the years pass? They get worn out. They grow weak. And then they die and decay. But our inheritance in Christ will never decay. It's imperishable. And then Peter says that our inheritance can never spoil Nothing will ever defile or stain it. Friends, this inheritance is no less than heaven itself. Heaven is obviously a place totally unpolluted by any sin. Indeed, heaven is the home of righteousness, forever free from any blemish or impurity. So our inheritance will never be spoiled by sin. And then Peter also tells us that our inheritance can never fade. Think of a flower at its peak. We all love to see daffodils at springtime. Think of the rose. Think of the cherry blossom. The beauty of such flowers at their peak is absolutely stunning. And yet when a flower is past its peak, its beauty fades, and it looks rather sad, indeed pathetic. But this will never be said of our inheritance, For its unfading, its breathtaking beauty will never fade. And Peter adds, it's kept in heaven for you, verse 4. Christian friends, our inheritance in heaven, it's guarded in heaven by God himself. And so its beauty will last forever. In verse 5, this incredible inheritance is simply called salvation. And in verse 9, it's called the salvation of our souls. As believers in Jesus, we are already saved through faith in our Savior. But the completion of our salvation is still to come. Our salvation will only be complete when our King returns. When Christ comes back, we shall then be given new bodies. And there'll be no more need for health centers or hospitals. And when our King returns we will enter into the most wonderful new environment. There'll be no more talk about climate change or global warming. And when our Savior reappears in awesome glory, we will be ushered into the new creation where we will dwell with him forever. So we've this living hope and this incredible inheritance to look forward to. We will receive it When our Lord Jesus Christ is revealed at the end of this present age, verse 5. My fellow believers here this evening, how utterly thrilling to know that we are heading for glory. When we were born again, we exchanged the passing glory of man for the eternal glory of God. And so Peter highlights here how we're born again for glory. And then in verse 5, Peter gives us another cause for rejoicing. Not only are we born for glory, secondly, he he assures us that Christians are kept for glory. Verse 5 again. So not only is this glory being kept in heaven for us by God, but we ourselves are being kept by God for this glory. And therefore, our God keeps both us and our inheritance safe. This is so so reassuring. As believers in Jesus Christ, we can get fearful at times. We might even think to ourselves, but suppose I don't make it to heaven. But we will, for it's not just a matter for us a matter of us looking after ourselves, spiritually speaking. All of us who are in Christ are being shielded by the power of the Almighty. This is wonderfully comforting. The word shielded is a military word. Well, in this spiritual warfare that we're engaged in day by day, we are being guarded by God himself. And the tense of the verb reveals that we are constantly being shielded by our Savior. There isn't a second when we're not being looked after by our Lord. What a humbling, happy position to be in. Our great God and Father is continually protecting us. Think of a little boy at school in the playground. Classes have just finished for the day. This little lad makes his way towards the school gate. But bullies suddenly approach him. And these bullies start to push the little lad around and try to take a school bag and to intimidate him. But just at that very moment, the little boy's dad arrives to collect them. And he walks towards his son and the bully scarper. My Christian friend, God, our Father, he's always looking out for you. He will never let anything happen to you which he cannot use for your spiritual good and growth. And God, our Father, is shielding you constantly by his great power. God has chosen you for glory He's brought you to new birth for glory, and so he will keep you for glory. In Jude verse 24, the Lord promises that he will keep you from stumbling and will present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. And so brothers and sisters in Christ this evening, we are not kept on track for heaven by our own strength or by our willpower, our resolve. But by the power of the Almighty. Our faith has so united us to the Lord that His power now protects us every step of the way into heaven. Now, of course, we do have a real responsibility. We must employ our faith in the Lord in our fight against the evil one. Daily, we've got to take up the shield of faith with which we can extinguish the flaming darts of the devil. But as we do so, we can rest on God's promise to protect us by his power. He will never be off guard. How long will God guard us until he takes us to be with him in heaven? What an encouragement. We're being guarded for glory. Just imagine for a moment the impossible. Imagine a child of God someone born of the Spirit, being lost. Imagine somebody born again, failing to get home to heaven. What would that mean for God? It would rob God of his glory. For God our Father has chosen all his children in Christ personally. And God our Father has covenanted himself to us all. Yes, God has committed himself to us 100%. And he's promised to bring to completion what he has started in each of our lives. And so even if just one of us ended up lost, it would reflect terribly on God. But of course, that won't happen. Because our covenant God is utterly faithful. He always fulfills what he's purposed. Christian friend, God is 100% certain that you're going to be with him in heaven. He's given you his spirit as an insurance When you believed in Christ, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance. Ephesians 1 verse 14. And so in Christ, we're born again for glory and we're kept for glory. But of course, that does not mean that we don't encounter hardships and heartaches as we head towards heaven. And so this brings us to a third crucial truth about Christians and glory in Peter's passage here. Christians, thirdly, are being prepared for glory. In all that happens to us in this world, our God is preparing us for the life and service to come. Our Lord is training us here in this world for future ministry in heaven. This explains the presence of trials in our lives because fiery trials are used by God to bring about growth and maturity in our Christian character. Peter brings out several facts about trials here in verses 6 and 7. Peter makes it clear, first of all, that trials meet needs. Trials meet needs. Note Peter's telling words in verse 6. Now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. This indicates that there are certain times when God knows that we need to go through trials. The main purpose of these trials is to bring about spiritual growth. But at times, trials can even help to prevent us from sinning. That's what happened to Paul after he had been given wonderful visions of God. Paul tells us, this himself, in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7, Paul wrote, To keep me from being, becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan, to torment me. So Paul recognized that God sent his thorn in the flesh to keep him from becoming puffed up and to remind him of his total dependence on his grace. So trials can help to prevent us from sinning. Or at other times, trials discipline us when we've disobeyed God's will. Psalm one hundred nineteen, verse sixty-seven: "Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word." Psalm one hundred nineteen, sixty-seven. So trials meet needs. The second thing that's clear here from what Peter writes is that trials are varied. Note the phrase in all kinds of trials in verse 6. The original wording literally means many-coloured. And so we're going to face all sorts of troubles in our lives, many-coloured trials. Christian friend, no matter what colour, in adverted commas, your day may be, you can be sure that your heavenly Father is at work in your life. Perhaps even this evening, You're in the midst of very dark days. Or perhaps you will have a blue Monday tomorrow or a grey Tuesday the next day. No matter what colour your day may be, you can lean upon your gracious God and he will meet your every need. His grace will be sufficient for you for his power is made perfect in our weakness. Trials meet needs and trials are varied. And each one comes from God's providence, in God's providence to prepare us for glory. A third thing Peter spells out about trials here preparing us is that trials are not easy. This goes without saying. Paul writes here, or sorry, Peter writes here of being grieved by various trials. For trials are painful. To deny that our trials are distressing will only make them worse. As Christians, we must accept the fact that there, that there are many difficult experiences in life for us to pass through. And when they hit us, we're to pour out our hearts honestly to God our Father. Confiding to in close, trustworthy friends can be a tremendous support and help. We're not to put on a brave face and to pretend that everything's fine, stoically, Trials are not easy. We need the help of our God and Father moment by moment. We need the support of our brothers and sisters in Christ, those in whom we confide, who will pray for us. Fourthly, Peter tells us reassuringly concerning these trials that trials are controlled by God. Trials do not last forever, they are for a season. Peter talks of trials being for a little while. And that's true in comparison with eternity and glory. Friends, whatever trials we encounter, we must trust in our loving Father. We must trust that he knows what he's doing, even when we don't know what he's doing. We must trust that he is working for our best when we cannot see how it can be for our best. We must seek to learn lessons he wants to teach us in the midst of our pain and perplexity. And we must seek to glorify him in how we respond to our suffering. Think of a goldsmith with his precious gold. That's what Peter tells us to do here. No goldsmith wastes his valuable metal. Yet to obtain the purest form of gold, the goldsmith has to put it into the smelting furnace, for the gold has to be refined. Gold has to be melted in fire to remove the impurities, the fiery furnace is necessary or many impurities will remain. It's only when gold is put into intense heat that every trace of impurity is burnt up and pure gold remains. After being in the furnace, gold is then poured out and it can then be made into a beautiful article of value. How long did the eastern goldsmith keep the gold in the furnace until he could see his face reflecting in it? How long does our loving Lord keep us in the furnace of fiery trials until we reflect more of the beauty of Jesus? Christian friend, your trials today are preparing you for glory tomorrow. Therefore, we've seen that Christians are born again for glory. We're being kept for glory. We're being prepared for glory. But note one other tremendous truth that Peter highlights here. Christians, fourthly, can enjoy glory now. Verses 8 and 9, we can enjoy something of God's glory now. This glory isn't just all in the future for us. The Bible doesn't just teach us of glory when we die. It tells us that we can experience something of this glory every day in this world. Even in the midst of our struggles, we can enjoy Christ's glory today. And Peter spells out two essentials here for enjoying glory now. First of all, we're to keep relying upon our Savior. Verse 8, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him. In the midst of our sufferings, we must keep trusting in our Savior. Living by faith and not by sight is key. Even though things may seem to be a total mess, we must believe in our God and in his working in everything for our good as his people. Faith means taking God at his word, no matter what our moods or our circumstances. This is what our God and Father is looking for and delights in, in his children. When his children keep trusting in him in our fiery trials, it delights our heavenly Father's heart. But along with relying on Christ, there's another essential for enjoying glory now. Christian friends, in our sufferings, we must also keep on rejoicing in Christ. Peter wrote, though you have not seen him, you love him, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with, with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Often, we will not be able to rejoice over our circumstances in life. But in Christ, we can always rejoice in the midst of our circumstances because we can always center our hearts and minds on our supreme and gracious Savior. Though we don't see him, our King's with us every second. There's never a moment When we are alone. And our King loves us with his perfect love. He's proved that to us at the cross. And so even though we don't see him, we love him. And we can rejoice in him in every circumstance. Trials are to help us discover more of the riches of our Redeemer. They're to help us to see and to savor our Savior more and more. As we rely upon him, and rejoice in him in our trials. Note the sort of joy he produces within us. It's joy inexpressible and filled with glory. For this joy comes from seeing the glory of Jesus and the magnificence of what he's done for us at Calvary. And so as we, re- as we rejoice in our Savior and in our great salvation, even in the midst of trials, we can encounter and enjoy the glory of God in the here and now. My Christian friends, let us take heart in the spiritual warfare and struggle of serving King Jesus in this present age and fallen world. We have been born again for glory. We are being kept for glory. We're being prepared for glory, even in this world of wickedness and woes. And we can enjoy something of the glory of our King day by day as we walk in His Spirit And seek to honour him. May our Saviour so help us to live. Let us join together in prayer. O Lord God Almighty, great and gracious Father in heaven, we rejoice again in your Gospel and in the power of your Gospel and in how your Gospel has come to so many of us here, bringing us from death to life and from darkness to light, transferring us from the kingdom of darkness into your wonderful kingdom of light and truth and grace. O God, we rejoice in your glory most of all and that you have revealed something of your glory to us, that the eyes of our hearts have been opened to behold the beauty and glory of Christ our King. We pray that you will continue to Help us, O oh God, to see our Savior's supremacy and his saving grace in more and more of its magnificence and beauty. Great God, we rejoice that you have indeed brought us to be born again by your sovereign grace, that you've regenerated us. We rejoice that you are keeping us for glory. And that you're keeping our inheritance in heaven for us. That we can have wonderful assurance that we will go home to to be with our King. And ultimately to dwell with him in the new creation. In our resurrection bodies, delighting in his majesty and in his amazing goodness to us. Oh God, we we thank you that even in the midst of fiery trials, we can be assured that you are at work for our spiritual good and growth and for your own greater glory. That we can rest upon your promises, upon your word. That we can walk by faith in you and in your promises and not by sight. We pray especially for our brothers and sisters here this evening. Who are going through very painful times, whose hearts are low, whose circumstances may seem very cruel, that they may know you, the Lord of life and love and truth, ministering to them again, strengthening them inwardly, enabling them to keep pressing on in the midst of their fiery trials, that they may know you and your closeness, even this night, strengthening them and helping them. Father, We thank you for how we can taste the glory of Christ and rejoice in it, even in the midst of this world of woe and wickedness. We pray that you will help us to delight ourselves in the Lord and to rejoice in him, even in the midst of setbacks and painful times. Help us to be like the Apostle Paul and so many in the Scriptures who kept rejoicing in you in the midst of such difficult and distressing circumstances. Father, we remember our fellow believers in the Middle East tonight. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, in Israel, in Gaza, in the West Bank, in other parts of the Middle East, in the midst of all of the carnage and the injustices and the bereavements and the heartache and the darkness and distress. We rejoice that there are those who know and love you, who are walking with you. And we pray that you'll enable them to keep walking with Christ, that they may shine as lights in this universe as they hold out the word of life to those around them who are in the midst of such devastation, who have no hope at all. We pray, even through these terrible providences, that you may advance your work and extend your kingdom. We pray, great God, that you will heal those who are brokenhearted, that you will draw close to them and turn their thoughts and hearts to Christ, that they may find their refuge and their help in the only Savior. We pray that you will restrain those who are intent on further evil and atrocities. We pray, great God, that you will pull down the pride, that you will raise up those who seek to do what is righteous in the eyes of the living God. We pray, that politicians in Israel and Gaza and across the nations will be humbled before you and brought to fear you and to tremble you and to recognize their accountability to you and that you will turn them and us, O God, from our wicked ways. O God, we pray that you will establish peace which seems so unlikely and that you will bring about A wonderful spiritual harvest, even in such times as this. Our Father, we thank you for each other as fellow believers in the city of Belfast. And we cry out to you to be at work here in Newton Abbey and all around this part of the city. And across the Knott Bracken and the Castle Ray Hills and in South Belfast, O God, may the light of the gospel shine more and more brightly bringing Catholic friends and those who are professing to be atheists and so many who are just caught up in living for themselves to their senses before the great day of wrath, that they may be humbled and brought to fear the Lord and to cry out to you for mercy. May you build your church here. May you bring young and old to cry unto Christ for mercy. We pray that the church of Christ will be built even at such a time as this for his glory. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus and for his honor alone. Amen.